Make merry memories during Bush Gardens Christmas Town. Select dates through January 5th. Experience 10 million twinkling lights at the world's most beautiful theme park. And hop aboard the all-new Christmas Town Express train experience. Come celebrate 10 years of holiday magic at Bush Gardens Christmas Town. Right now, one-day tickets start at only $30 online. Restrictions apply. If you believe you belong. This week's episode of the Managing Wizard podcast is brought to you by Hotel Europa in Madrid. Uh, a lot of you guys ask us where to stay in Madrid, where to eat, where to hang out, what games to go to. Here's the first thing you do. Go to hoteleuropa.eu, book your stay at Hotel Europa. It's right in Plaza del Sol, right in downtown, in the heart of the city. A lot of history, a lot of culture, a lot of things to do, a lot of places to eat. Um, you open your patio door, you're right in Seoul. You see the great view of the square. You close it and you get a great night's sleep because the noise doesn't enter the room. It's really well insulated. We know this because we have stayed there. They've hooked us up. Also, great Wi-Fi. We've also recorded podcasts from there. So make sure to go to hoteleuropa.eu and book your stay on your next trip to Madrid when you go see a Real Madrid game. Also, before we get underway, uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to all of our patrons. All of you are amazing. Thank you so much for your support. wanted to give a specific shout-out to these $10-plus patrons because... If you pledge $10 or more, you get a reward by getting a shout-out on the podcast. So, shout-out to these $10-plus patrons. Sway Ayala, Sergio Monleon, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Catherine Fagundo, Gary Cohut, Peña Maridista, um, San Francisco Bay Area, Nicole Gant, Nick DeStefani, Raghav Reddy, L, Emily Woods, Raghav Patluri, Mark Rady, Ahmed Husseini, Bjorn Salvador, Dan Berthy, Christian Gonzalez, Sajid Reyes, John Fernandez, Frederick Sundros, Adolfo, Chamali Perez, Christian Toft, Anas Alazawi, Sheikh Atiri, Red Bat, Leon Stavernakis, Thor Hackfjall. Um, I hope I said that one right. Thank you, Thor, and forgive me for my pronunciation. Armin Gashi, Eric Rogers, Kristen Phillips, Sujaiwani, Nick Ribeiro, Shanmukha Mantha, Willie Reed, Yahya Ibrahim, Said Mahad, Vicky Cohen, Zoran Bazancic, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, Jimmy Obeyed, and Daniel Smith. You guys are all incredible. Seriously, uh, means the world to us to see your support and, uh, and everyone, every one of you for taking this journey with us. Okay, without further ado, this is the Managing Madrid Podcast where we deal with the implosion from the Alaves game. Let's go. Welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast, where the sky is falling officially, the Armageddon is upon us, and not even the optimistic Managing Madrid crew with their glass half full glasses on can save you from your misery. This is Kian Sobani, joining me to discuss the apocalypse is Om Arvind. Om, how are you enjoying your last days on earth? 
it's it's been a a pretty a pretty sad couple of weeks. The fan base is definitely not happy. I personally am not happy with a couple of things. I think I think there is reason to to calm down a little bit, but yeah, I it's hard to spin what has occurred over the last four games as as something like spectacular. Yeah, um, there are obvious talking points. One of them being the goal scoring drought, um, but not only that, it's the the lack of clear cut chances, the lack of offensive curation. Um, a lot of things going wrong, and um, and we we have some excuses we can chalk it up to. But when you go back and you look at the excuses, um, which are injuries, um, tough schedule, etc., and you kind of just go back and be like, there's no excuse for the fact that it's been since 1985 where there's been four games where Real Madrid have failed to score consecutively. Um, I guess there are some some things that are in our favor the fact that barcelona just keep dropping points now and and their schedule is about to get way tougher um and their tough schedule is actually already underway um being tottenham away and and they had valencia away and it it keeps getting more difficult for them but going over this particular game in alaves om what was what was like the most recurring theme that you wanted to to pick out and, and discuss so I there there's the obvious theme right of the the lack of penetration and how flat we are, which I think we can discuss. But I I, I want to take a slightly different tact and discuss the overfluidity in our in our front line. So I I think this is definitely something some some people in my mentions have have been noticing. I don't know if if, if the people listening have noticed this as well, but. Our, our front line is extremely, extremely fluid, especially our wingers. They keep swapping. Sometimes they'll move to the striker position, you know, and, and they'll want to exchange places with Benzema. Sometimes they won't all be in separate places. Sometimes they'll both be occupying the same place, like both the striker and the winger will be occupying central zones. And this just keeps happening over and over again. And to a certain extent, I like fluidity in the front line, right? Because it's necessary to destabilize deep set defenses. It gives you different options uh, to different angles to attack the defense with. It can it can help ruin man marking schemes. But when it happens to this extent, I think it speaks to two things. One, that I think some of the players in the side, like we saw versus Alaves don't really understand the best way to interpret their free, free roaming role. And then, two, that we have a lack of ideas in the final third. So a lack of attacking patterns like that players can turn to to create something and perhaps a little bit of invention and creativity, which is why they're moving all over the place in search of space. And versus Alaves, I think Ceballos, when he sticks to the left-hand side of the pitch, interprets that that kind of free-roaming role rather well. But whenever he started switching with Bale, he kind of looked lost on the right and... Asensio, who didn't play versus Alaves, has looked quite lost doing this, which is why I think he was benched. And I think this affects the verticality of the team as well, which I think you can speak to. Yeah, I mean, I think the the quote unquote overfluidity um, that works to me in two two instances. It works against teams that are dumb enough to play a high line against us. Roma did it. Um, I believe Leganes did it. If you go back. And the other the other instance where it works is if 
teams are behind and have a reason to chase the game. In the past four games, teams have had no desire, um, nor should they, to open up and get out of their low block. That, to me, the, that instance, it, it's so difficult for this particular version of Real Madrid to score. If you don't score first, um, which Real Madrid haven't been doing clearly and haven't been scoring at all, it makes it really difficult to get um, get behind the defensive line. Against Leganes, against Roma, those type of games, you had Bale, Asensio, Benzema. I thought roaming efficiently enough where you had you had at least two players always playing off the shoulder of a high defensive line. The other one dropping back to show as an outlet and getting it out wide. And Bale had so many um, so many clear-cut chances just from those breaks. I think... I, I don't know if the scouting report is out, but again, this goes back to a lot of people demanding we play counterattack, which is impossible against a low block. And it's just not going to happen unless you score first. And the game drags on and the other team has no choice but to start chasing the game. Uh, I think your point about Sabios's role is interesting because I think while there were criticisms of his selection before the game um i'm talking about like before the game they're like why, why is Sabayos playing that role for what it's worth for him in a vacuum um he did create danger from the left side where he cut in and shot or he put in a dangerous cross far post i can see him playing that role to an extent and i can see him exploding that half space i guess the problem was that he just was never really there um like you mentioned he was interchangeable with bale on the flanks which is not his game at all he can't he's not a winger um, he found himself on the right flank quite a bit when, and Bale would roam centrally or, or to the left side. And then you really had no options coming out of the back because Casemiro does this thing where he, he drops behind in, in between the center backs, shows for the ball, and that's fine. He's the, he's the anchor. He's actually playing as an anchor this season. The problem is that now he becomes your essential deep line playmaker or the guy who brings the ball out of the back. And it's not something he can really do consistently. That means Kroos has to drop, or Modric has to drop. Um, and in this particular game, one uh, in previous games, I think Modric has been a bit higher up the pitch, and Kroos has dropped back. Modric would also drop back, and Kroos would also drop back. Um, and they were all three of them were generally playing deep and looking for these vertical passes, and nobody was there apart from Benzema who popped up. And he can't be the only one doing that. And um, and to me, that was the problem. It was just like everybody was either wide. Or deep, and and um, and the overloads were okay. I think Alaves did a really good job at kind of getting getting bodies and and making sure they packed the flank where Odriozola was trying to provide an overload. And Nacho was just a zero offensively. Like, just sorry to say, like he was a complete zero offensively. Where clearly Marcelo would have helped in some capacity um, in that role if he had played. Yeah, so I think your point about the midfielders dropping deep, um, it links to my my fluidity point, but I'll, I'll I'll get to that in a second. I think that the whole midfielders dropping deep, especially Kroos, is why Lopetegui dropped Asensio and played Ceballos. I mentioned it was because he interpreted that left half space role really well, but it's also because you know the general structure we've seen with Lopetegui so far when he introduced Casemiro into the side is that. Kroos drops in line with Casemiro, and Modric has a bit more freedom to move into an advanced position. So it wasn't so much the case versus Alaves, but in general, that's been the plan. So it's this kind of L shape in possession with Kroos next to Casemiro and Modric higher. 
And so you need fluidity to some extent, right, to balance against that. So you need your left winger to come in between the lines and in, and in the pockets to provide that penetration in, in an advanced position where the the interior, the left central midfielder where cross plays would normally be. So I think that's why Lopetegui played Ceballos because with Isco injured, um, Ceballos provides that. And as, we, as I mentioned before, Asensio hasn't been interpreting this free role that well. And I think we just saw that versus Alaves, right? So when... When Cross drops, he, you you mentioned that he doesn't he doesn't find vertical options, and I think part of that has to do with the fact that there was just there was just way too much movement in the front line, and players were unsure of what of what they needed to do. And it takes a particular skill set, it takes a particular level of football and IQ and familiarity with the teammates in the system to consistently make the right decisions on the fly, and that's just something they're struggling to do at the moment. And that's why I think they benefit from more defined attacking patterns, right? So when Kroos looks up, he knows who's going to be there and he knows, you know, what combination is going to take place so he can move to support it. So obviously it doesn't need to be to like this level because for, for coaches to reach this, for, to reach like a, a Maurizio Sarri level is difficult. But if you look at what Maurizio Sarri did with Napoli, a lot of it was defined attacking combinations and it created what looked like really fluid at fast attacking football that was improvised, but in fact, a lot of it was planned. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, that part of it where when you get to the point of improvisation, it's something that every team needs. Um, you need to just kind of be able to make decisions on your own in the final third that go beyond tactics um, in those situations. And every team has that no matter how great the tactical scheme is. That's one thing this team is kind of lacking. I'm, you know, if I'm if we're being honest, it's not like if you go back to previous editions of Real Madrid. Um, sorry to say, because you and I have been Real Madrid fans for a long time, um, and and mostly because we do this podcast and we've been writing for the site for a long time, we know that every season has really bad moments. Where, where fans are calling for certain things to happen. And it's usually for this player to be sold, this player to be bought, uh, this coach to be fired, this coach to be brought in. It happens every year, even among the three-peat years it was happening. I think maybe it didn't happen so much in 16, 17, where that team actually was like consistently quite fun and good. Last season, it happened quite a bit. Here's the difference between that those seasons and this season is... Um, you had people to bail you out. You had Cristiano Ronaldo to bail you out. Um, from 2009 to 2018, he bailed you out multiple times when you weren't playing well. Um, you had other people who could do things offensively. You're relying on um, a very risky group of players this season. Um, and I think, you know, with, with Bale, by the time he was subbed off, he was he was grimacing. He was holding his um he was holding his left leg, I believe. Benzema left at halftime with his injury. He also hasn't been himself um since the opening part of the season where he played well. And Anisco obviously wasn't there. Marcelo was wasn't there. The bailout factor that a lot of teams have that Real Madrid don't seem to have this season until this point is worrying to me. Yeah, and I think I think the shot production part, which links to being bailed out, which links to Cristiano Ronaldo, is a big deal. And and the argument when we sold Ronaldo and didn't really sign 
someone not to replace him, but to replace his goals. Um, the argument, of course, was, well, it's a collective effort. Everyone gets more of the shot volume pie and everyone chips in to replace it, you know, by little by little. And I was I was kind of skeptical of that argument. I could see the logic, but there's a reason, right? Like that basically, th- there's a reason so many teams have struggled to do that, right? Like when you think of Gareth Bale leaving Tottenham, how long it took. And I was just thinking, do we really have the players that have the mentality to do that? And you were essentially kind of betting on, on Benzema stepping up and, and scoring 20, 25 goals in the league at least, right? And... Benzema's form after a, a couple good games has completely fell off a cliff. And if you looked at the underlying numbers then, his, his expected goal per 90 statistic wasn't that great at the moment. The, the fact was he was just finishing you know, really well. He was extremely confident, but his underlying numbers weren't especially impressive. And now they're just, they're just terrible. I think his expected goal figure is something like 0.35 or something like that. And he's not compensating it, compensating for that by creating either, right? His expected assist figures, I think, 0. 0.06, which is, which is barely even noticeable, right? Like it's not even worth mentioning that. So that that is a huge issue, and so it doesn't even matter, right? Like if we had better ideas in the final third, we don't really have someone who's in the form to receive the ball in the box and then convert that into shots. Bale seems to be the only player that has taken it upon himself to take more shots and take better shots upon Ronaldo's departure. No one else has managed to do that, and that's not enough. And I think that's why we can't even revert to crossing, right, to get someone to bail us out, which is what we've done the past three, four, five seasons, because Benzema's simply not in the form anymore to be able to be that threat in the air and be able to get quality shots off. And so that that is a big issue, and I think that that's an underrated reason for why we have not you know, supposedly created shots, right? Like we would blame that on creativity, but it also has to do with the movement off the ball to create the shots and then the ability, once you have the ball, to convert that pass into a shot. And that, even more than I think the creativity and verticality is what we're lacking at the moment. Yeah, Bale is the only one who has actually had a statistical uptick in his shots and is actually at a, at a career high with the shooting in La Liga. Um, no one else has. Mariano... Um, is is the second best in terms of creating shots. Um, I mean, but the other thing is like the quality of the shot of the shots, both in terms of the position um, where we're actually finding our chances, and the other thing was actually the quality of the shots themselves. The shooting boots haven't been good this season, um, or in some cases, just not getting a shot off at all. Like I was disappointed with Mariano, who was in the box, who was on the end of a great Bale through ball in the second half, and Bale had three of those great through balls in the, in the second half, which we couldn't capitalize before he got injured. That moment where Mariano was in the box, he kept turning and turning, and, and I don't even think he got a shot off in that situation. Um, that part, that was disappointing. Um, and then you look at the XG, it was a season low, 0.45. So it's not, maybe it was harsh to say we deserve to lose this, but we definitely didn't deserve to win it. And at best, we deserve to draw it. So when you have 12 shots and you have an XG of 0.45, I, I, the quality of the shots just haven't been there. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that. I think you could argue in other games, such as the game versus Moscow, 
we definitely should have scored a goal, even if you look against XG. Sure. I think that the result versus Atletico Madrid, we can excuse. Because first of all, I don't think it was a bad performance. Second of all, we haven't won a home derby since in the league since 2012. Performance against Sevilla was really, really bad. So if you want to look at it that way, I think the two most concerning performances were Sevilla and this. So I think it's a bit much to like say it's, it's a huge crisis that Lopetegui doesn't know what he's doing. But it certainly is concerning, right? I think it's, I think it's, as we saw in the game versus Alaves, it's it's a coalition of multiple factors. It's the injuries, it's a tough schedule. It was the quality of the opposition, right? Like Alaves, you'd think wouldn't be included in that tough schedule remark, but they're third in the league now. They they they've actually played really really well. They played a really well organized game against Real Madrid. So credit to them. We don't want to always just say it's our fault. You know, we let the opposition win. They they definitely deserved, um, if not to win, at least a result. Um, and then you have some t- tactical issues from Lopetegui, which I don't think are huge, but I think they're big enough that when combined with the other factors I've mentioned to create this four-game streak where we haven't won. And I think that's where it's a little worrying, right? Because when all these little factors is working. Like you said, we don't have someone to bail us out, which we've always had. So it seems like for this team to play well, everything needs to be functioning properly and everything needs to be in place. So Lopetegui doesn't have the luxury of his tactics being off. From now on, it has to be spot on. Yeah, it's... um. I, I, I think a lot of fans just don't like hearing the excuse of the schedule. But the reality is we just... We pretty much never win in Sevilla. Um Regardless mm-hmm. if, if it's Zidane um, or Lopetegui, uh, we pretty well never beat Atleti at home in La Liga, whether it's Zidane or Lopetegui. The game against Alaves, we should, we have enough. Like, even with the players we have on the pitch. Um, I agree, I agree. Yeah, we should win that. I, I, but I think at the same time, it's not only that um, Alaves are, did you say third in La Liga? I have to check the standings. Um, I'm doing a quick check, but it's not only that they've been good this season. Um, Alaves are well. Well, I, they were they were third yeah. before the games today, and so now they're sixth. But they're tied on points with Espanyol and Real Madrid, who are fourteen points. Barcelona, Atleti have fifteen, and Sevilla are sixteen. So they're only two points off yeah. the top. From one to six, it's a two point gap between the, with the top six. I mean, it's incredibly fun right now if you're a neutral fan. Um, it's not only that they've been good this season; they actually have the best record in La Liga after the top three, top three since Abelardo took over in December 2017. So since December 2017, they've been the fourth best team in La Liga statistically, which is amazing for them. Um, Incredible. Yeah, they're they're a good team, um, and I thought you know for what it's worth, um, there were a lot of encouraging things if you're an Alaves fan from from that game. Um, I thought they pressed strategically well. They tried to get in Ramos's head early on, um, trying to really unnerve him, foul him. Um, and, I, and I thought, like, the way it was unfolding, Ramos, this is probably a Ramos red card game. Um, they were compact. They, they they played a bit narrow defensively, but but were very good to get over to the flanks when the ball went there. I thought, I thought they were good. Um, I... I'm not sure. Um, I, I guess I will. I will say that I think for the first time in my life, I'm kind of looking forward to the international break. It should be a good <laughs> time to 
to be able to take a break from all this noise. Um, hopefully, Bale doesn't travel with any of the whale stuff. Isco gets some extended rest, obviously, because he just can't play football right now with his post-surgery. Um, maybe Asensio goes back and scores a couple of golazos with Spain, comes back a bit more confident. I feel like the confidence right now is a bit... Uh, it's basically at rock bottom. And this is a team that has been through it all. Um, you look at Kroos, Modric, these guys have been in the worst situations and they've only bounced back. So this is maybe a good time to just take a break from club football, all the noise, all the media, all the pressure, and maybe just try to come up with solutions and wait for players to get back healthy. I mean, easier said than done, just kind of sitting here. And who knows, maybe Lopetegui doesn't even see see the the, the return of the, the, the club the club football when, when the international break is over. I don't know. But it'll be good to just kind of have a mental break and just kind of try to come up with solutions. I I agree with all of that. Quickly, before we go to questions, because I don't have too much more to say, I just want to mention Modric, because we talked about the form of Benzema, which, is, which has been really poor, and it's a key reason to why we haven't scored. We, we talked about how Asensio isn't handling, handling the overfluidity that well and how that's affecting him and why he was eventually benched versus Alaves. And I think we need to discuss Modric as well. Um, this guy has not been the same since he came back from the World Cup. You know, he didn't have a preseason. He started late. You know, I, I can't remember when was the first game he started for Real, but Lopetegui took it really slow to integrate him back into the team. And I don't think you can underestimate what it means for Modric to have basically played every minute possible in the World Cup and then some in extra time. And and then have to come back with pretty much no rest whatsoever, no preseason, and come back into this team. And it's clear that he's not 100%. He's not 100% physically, and that's affecting some of his mental sharpness. I, I, I don't know how anyone can... Um, can look at this Modric and think that this is the same Modric we've seen for the past three to four years. And I don't think it's just natural decline. I think it's the fact that he's not 100%. And that hurts us a lot because out of our midfield trio, Modric has to be the one getting into advanced positions and providing us with that penetration. Because as we mentioned before, Kroos and Casemiro are flat. So I don't know how long it's going to take for Modric to get back into full form. I think it may take even as long as as, as, as December or or late November, but that is not something that can be overlooked. And I think that whenever we get the real Modric back, we'll start looking a lot better. Yeah, that I I don't think it's uh, any any more an elephant in the room. Now everyone just kind of knows Modric is just not himself right now. The first game he started was against um, Espanyol, which if my math is correct, that's the seventh game into the season. We didn't see him start until... Um, and we, it's well documented. We knew he was tired. And he's only started uh, one game since then. Uh, or sorry. Uh, no, he has he has started in the other games and he's been substituted off. If he can get back for springtime, great. Um, I guess the other interesting thing, which to me seems counterintuitive, I feel like the game against Barca and the Camp Nou will allow us to look better than we have for a, a lot of this season because we'll finally actually get someone who who won't bunker up and defend. They're gonna they've been vulnerable defensively and, and this finally will allow us to play our game ironically. Interesting. I I don't disagree with the with the, the basic argument there. 
just you're you're very cautious about this. <laughs> I, I I don't think I could ever like I don't think I could ever say that going to Barcelona is good for us, but there definitely is an argument that ha- that because of the fact that we're struggling to break down deep blocks, we could look better offensively because we'll attack a team that will leave space in behind and Bale especially especially at the beginning of the season. I think it was against Leganes as well, where he ran in behind and scored a goal. He has been the main guy offering threat with runs in behind. I think it's something Asensio could do more. But Bale, I can see him thriving, especially because he'll be the focal point now of all those counterattacks. Um, he, I, I, I don't think it would be stupid to bet on him getting a goal in El Clasico. But I will always be cautious about saying going to Barcelona or playing Barcelona anywhere uh, can and, and will be a good thing for us. Here's my case for that being a, a game we we at least, I don't want to say turning point, but at least there's going to be like a one-week span where fans will be like, oh, it's not as bad as we think it is. <laughs> uh, and this will probably come back to bite me uh, terribly, but this is my case for it. We play way better in the Camp Nou than we do at the Bernabeu against Barca. Bro. Bro, after we get smashed 7-0, people are going to be sending you this soundbite on your Facebook page, on Twitter for like the rest of the season. I'm very good at blocking and banning these days, so that's okay. <laughs> um, we play better at the Camp Nou than we do at the Bernabeu against Barca. Um, and in recent history, we've had plenty of counterattacking opportunities, and Bale always scores at least a legitimate goal or, or, a, or a disallowed goal, <laughs> which is wrongfully called offside or a foul, which we won't have that problem with VAR. Knock on wood. Um, Bale and Benzema usually play well in the Camp Nou. Um, and Barca have looked shaky defensively. PK has been assisting his opposing team quite a bit. And um, what else can I do to jinx this? There was one more thing I was going to say. Um, yeah, Barca haven't really counterpressed as much as in previous years. The last season, they kind of started taking their, their pressing off... Um, you know, as aggressively as they used to, that may allow us to build up a bit more without them sitting in a deep block. I don't know. I'll, I'll, everything that I I've said here is going to bite me somehow. I know it'll it is. But if things go according to plan, I guess Barca will allow us to play um, maybe the way we want to play in kind of like this open back and forth game a bit better than we've been able to in past games. Um, now, the flip side is that maybe that's terrible for us and maybe we lose like 6-5 and Messi scores a double hat-trick because he is the best player in transition for either team. Um, I did have a couple things I wanted to just run by you from this game. Um, I thought Varane was one of the bright spots in this game. and I Except wrote a, for the goal. Except for the goal. The, the weird thing is that goal changed so much and it was like at a point where I was writing my reaction, I was about to hit publish and then that happened. And then I had to add a note, an asterisk beside my Varan point who had a, a good game and I thought he covered well for Odrio Zola uh, and did well clearing just things that Abelardo and Alaves were trying to throw into the box. He, he obviously doesn't get to the far post header. And then the other thing was that I'm not sure what Courtois was doing. Like, I thought there were moments in this game and previous games where he's looked uncomfortable with the ball at his feet. That's fine. Um, I think we all knew that weakness of his back to his Chelsea days. I don't know what... He he looked a bit lost to me on the goal conceded. He looked like he was about to come out, and then he runs back with, like, his back to the ball. Um, 
and just gets caught in two worlds. It 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 didn't it didn't sit well with me the way he, his body language on that goal. If correct me if I'm wrong, but did he get his hand to the initial shot? Uh, yeah, he does. He gets his hand to the initial shot, and it's a really, really, and it's it's a shot that comes straight at him. It's a really weak hand. It deflects off the side of his wrist, and it's a free header at the far post from Anu. So, you know, Varane, I think, is culpable there, but I think Courtois is the most culpable person on that goal. It's it's not a great piece of goalkeeping. Yeah. Um. One, a couple thing on the full, couple things on the fullbacks. Um. Obviously, both Carvajal and Marcelo, the two starting fullbacks, um, haven't been around the last couple of games, like last game and a half. Carvajal, maybe it's not a huge drop-off because Odriozola is good, and Carvajal hasn't been himself, although he's had glimpses this season where he's looked more like his old self. Um, so it's it's a huge loss either way. He's also good defensively, even when he's not in form. I thought Odriozola was good. There were a couple moments um, where he gave the ball away from deep. Varane had to mop it up. Um, there was that moment in the first half where Johnny somehow finds himself through on goal in this inexplicable offside trap that went wrong. And it was Odriozola keeping Johnny onside. Courtois thankfully comes out. Other than that, I think he had a really good game. Um, his speed also gets him to like these ridiculous positions where he can put in tackles when he doesn't look like he's going to get the ball to put in crosses in tight spaces. Nacho, I don't know. It almost seems like just blasphemous to criticize Nacho because of the way he's a servant of the club and never complains and always does his job. And he puts gets put in any position that you ask him to play. He hasn't really been himself either since the World Cup. And um, he was kind of scared to take on Juan Fran against Atleti. Um, and then this game, he just looked incapable of, of beating his man, putting a cross in, um, or just providing any any significant or meaningful overloads. See, I think see, I think that's the thing is, is with Nacho is that I much, much prefer him when he's a right back to a left back. I think he can do a job as a left back, but if you want to see the best offensively from Nacho... It has to be on the other side. It has to be on the right side because, right, it's harder to attack players and dribble with your weaker foot. And I think that's the issue for Nacho. And so that limits him to mainly running into space down the overlap and then putting putting a ball into the box. And when you play against deep blocks like we did versus Atletico, like we did versus Alaves, that option of, of bursting down into space on the overlap doesn't really exist and the onus is put on the wide player you know in a one versus one duel to do something to create space and put a delivery in and if we think about the best player in the world from doing that at a fullback position it's Marcelo and he's he's not he's injured he, he wasn't available and I think sometimes we underestimate just how valuable that is I, I think you can make an argument that he's our most important offensive player with Cristiano Ronaldo gone because he he above anyone can do something unpredictable in situations where against a deep block and we deciding we want to cross our way to a goal. He's the one that can dribble one, two, three, four players, create space out of nothing and find a, find a, an accurate cross. And that's just something that Nacho cannot do, especially from the left side. On the right side, I think he's a little better one versus one. But from the left, that's just something you're not going to get from him. 
And that is what we're really missing with Marcelo out injured. Yeah, the other thing that I thought we missed with, without Marcelo was there were sequences where Alaves pressed us really well on our left flank. And um, generally in those situations, you see some really beautiful sequences from Marcelo, Kroos on that left side. Ramos is involved. Benzema sometimes drops deep. Where Real Madrid get out of these tight spaces, they invite the press and they get out and they break in numbers. There were moments in the first half where Alaves pressed us and Nacho just obviously is not as efficient in doing that, like getting out of those tight spaces from deep. Um, that's another instance where, or another situation where I thought Marcelo would have really helped. Um, should we move to questions? Yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. Okay. Um, Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid is where you go to get um, guaranteed responses, different rewards. Um, you can get advertisements on the show. You can get... Um, you can get Kian Sobani, which is myself, to actually write an article of your choice, 1,000 words. If you pledge a certain amount, you can get different rewards. You can actually join the show if you pledge enough. There's a lot of cool things. Just go check us out. Maybe you don't want rewards. Maybe you just want to support us. That's that's obviously cool, too. Um, you also get access to bonus shows, our weekly loan tracker podcast, our midweek postgame shows for the Champions League, Copa del Rey, midweek La Liga games. So join our Patreon army. And um, Oh, and I guess, obviously... The other thing I have to mention is we also do giveaways every now and then. Um, thanks to our patron, Daniel Smith, we gave away a signed Sergio Ramos jersey, two VIP tickets, two Bernabeu tour tickets. Um, and big congrats to Nicole Gant for winning that context, contest. And uh, and obviously, obviously to Daniel Smith, who um, graciously donated those items. Okay, first patron question is from Adolfo Chamali Perez. Not really a question, but more of a statement. Uh, Adolfo says, I miss Ronaldo's selfishness, and yet people said that the scoring would be distributed among the attacking players. Sad face. Um, I don't know if there's anything to actually say on this that we haven't already said. Om, do you want to add anything? Um, I guess I could just quickly address like the issue with Benzema's movement because what people are saying a lot of the times, right, is that you look at Benzema's heat maps and, and, and all of his touches are outside of the box, and he's not getting any touches inside the box. And so, obviously, the conclusion is is he's spending too much time in build-up, right? He's spending too much time deep, and he needs to leave that to someone else and get in the box. So I understand that viewpoint, but I don't think that's the issue, right? Like, if, if we're building out from our half against the press, there's no point in Benzema standing in the opposition box. Like, besides being offside, um, like, it it doesn't make sense, right? Like, he offers no use there. In the modern game, unless you're a striker like Icardi, you're contributing at least a little bit in the build-up because that's just how much more organized defenses are. And when you're building out from the from from our half, you know, past the middle third into the final third, you need someone like Benzema to drop in and contribute. That doesn't affect his ability to get in the box when we're in the final third. The issue is is not that Benzema is not willing to get in the box. It's simply that he's not as good anymore when he tries to do so, right? So his movement, his sharpness, the, the feints to get into good position aren't there. And then the ability to beat the defender in the duel to get the shot off just isn't as good as it used to be. And if you think about the player, right, who was amazing at doing that was Cristiano Ronaldo. It's not like Ronaldo, like this conception that Ronaldo just sat in the box all the time and that's all he did. No, he contributed to build up as well. It wasn't quite the extent as Benzema, but he was yeah. always very active in helping us move up the pitch. 
that didn't hinder his ability to get in the box. He was just better at it. And I think that's the difference there. Benzema just simply is not as good anymore as getting shots off. And he, it's just on him to change. I don't think there's anything Lopetegui can do besides playing Mariano in, ahead of him. Benzema has to fix this himself. Uh, question from Shea Khatiri, another patron. Shea says, I'm not at all ready to jump the Lopetegui ship. But if he's gone, who'd replace him? I cannot think of a good manager without a job, other than Heinkes and Zidane. Heinkes is almost completely impossible. What are the odds of Zidane accepting an interim position? I also want to remind something to my fellow Madridistas. We are Real Madrid with a rich DNA. Among the many characteristics we have is constant hiccups, even in a successful year. When is the last time Real Madrid didn't add a few grey hairs to our heads, even when we won at the end of the year? I refer you to the 2006-2007 season. Yeah, I mean, those gray hairs exist every season, there's no doubt. Um, I mean, so, yeah, go ahead. If Heinkes is impossible, um, which I'm not disputing, I just I just don't know why he would be. If Heinkes is impossible, what would Zidane be? Because I think Zidane is like the last person who would want to come back at this, at yeah, this moment. Yeah, Zidane's not coming. Zidane might come like in the future. Um, yeah, I think like I really believe in what he said until soon in his press conference. Um, I I think he will one day come back. There's no way he comes back now. Heinkes to me is just um, he's basically. I don't think he ever comes out of retirement unless Bayern calls and like okay, okay yeah okay yeah that's why okay yeah because yeah. because right. the only one he wants to coach is Bayern and if he doesn't need to coach Bayern he's at home just um on his yacht somewhere probably. Um, yeah. I mean, there are technically there are names like Conte and Wenger, Laurent Blanc. Um, <laughs> I don't. Think I, any- I never want to hear Wenger's name brought up again. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and I mean that's this, that's where we are. I mean, you could stretch it and, and add Guti to the list. So I'm sure if you ask him to come, as you know, in terms of first 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 coach coaching gig and not as an assistant, um, he'd probably he'd probably be on the next plane. Um, but I don't know. It's a bit too early for me to have this discussion right now, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree with that. I, I know a lot of Madrid fans weren't happy with with my opinion on this um, before we hired Lopetegui. I made a strong argument for both Conte and Allegri. Um, I think I did it on one of the podcasts where, where we were discussing who we wanted to replace Sudan. Um I think they'd be. I think Conte would be a very solid choice. Perhaps more defensive, but I think, I, I think people are overrating like the, like how defensive he'll make us. Right, like Conte, Conte doesn't. It's not like Conte's teams don't attack. It's just that the the primary focus is defensive solidity. Um, but yeah, the options are not fantastic. Guti is there, like you mentioned, but when you look at it that way, I think. Unless this this run of bad results continues, I think the logical option is to stay with Lopetegui, especially considering all the circumstances that have have led us to this point and the fact that not all of them are under Lopetegui's control. Yeah, if you had if you gave me the choice between Allegri and Conte, I would choose Allegri because I like his versatility and I like the fact that I would do. Yeah, I I like Allegri. I you know, but guess what? I like Klopp too. Um, I like Guardiola. <laughs> I I just. <laughs> None of these coaches are attainable right now, and and in the case of Guardiola, ever um, mid season. So, um, yeah, that's why I just think it's too early right now. I mean, they're, they're... I, I think I think we should bring Rafa Benitez back. Oh God, 
Yeah, I, I mean, maybe he's like, actually doing it. He's actually doing a pretty good job. Yeah, he is. I mean, but I mean, I think that's it's because of you know who he's coaching. I, I think there's a certain threshold he'll hit, and I think the team is probably too too big for him to to manage. That's that's my feeling with him. Um, but maybe in a week or two, we will be forced to discuss who the manager is. I don't know, but um, right now it just feels like um, it's a bit it's a bit half-assed, and it's not uh, because we're really not taking it that seriously at this second. Um, Sajid Reyes, another patron, says, uh, This question is meant for the Sunday pod, and I'm writing this before the Alavez match because I don't want the result of the match to alter the question I want to ask. Basically, I want you guys to critically analyze my below observations. I think we need to play a four-man midfield to flourish in a possession-based system. We saw this when we replicated Sevilla's and Atletico Madrid's 4-4-2 formation in the second halves, respectively, and were so much better. And we've always seen us flourish in the past whenever we have that extra man in midfield. I'll be honest, I hate the 4-3-3 and I especially hated it when we played with the BBC. Um, Sajid also goes on to say that um, he thinks it should be Isco and Asensio, not Isco or Asensio, among some other things. Um, I guess, yeah, you, I think maybe you take a crack at this because I'm not sure exactly what the four-man midfield is um, right. defined so- as here. So if Saji, if you're talking about like a flat four four two formation, um, the four three three has more central midfielders because in a four four two you have two wide midfielders and you have a double pivot. In a four three three you have three central midfielders and two wide midfielders. If you're talking about a diamond, which is what I think you're talking about here, there are certainly more central midfielders in that formation. There are four instead of three. Um if I'm being honest, I like the 4-3-3 a lot better than I like the diamond, mainly because, especially with the absence of Kovacic, I do not believe that we have the wide central midfielders to to make that system optimal. I think it worked for a time right in 2016-17, but then we saw the next season it got completely exposed, versus, especially versus Tottenham was probably the biggest example, and that's why Zidane and Ben did it completely so, no, I, I do not think that we need to go to that formation. I, I don't think we have, like, the box-to-box types to make that defensively stable on the flanks. And I think the 4-3-3 is probably the best option we have, especially if we want to play Casimir Modric cross. Last patron question from Leon Stavronakis. He says, Our front line could easily and cheaply have included Aubameyang and James, and easily and expensively Hazard. Imagine how different things would be with Bale, Hazard, and Aubameyang up top. Hazard and Aubameyang have practically begged to come to Madrid at points. Um, that's true, actually. Um, Florentino and Zidane have to bear the blame for the state of this team. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I take a stab at this one. So I discussed this with, with Leon Stavernakis on Twitter. Um, great guy. I love having discussions with him. Um I, I mean, he's not going to be surprised by my answer, but I'll just kind of repeat it for the benefit of, of, of the uh, listeners. Um, so Aubameyang is an interesting thing, is an interesting case because he left Borussia Dortmund for Arsenal in 2017-18. So essentially, we, and it was midway through the season as well. So we would have had to look to buy him after, after the 2016-17 season, right? And that was at a point when we had Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously, and I think really what we were thinking about when we were thinking about a center forward with Cristiano Ronaldo is 
is this center forward going to play kind of like a false nine? And how is he going to work with Ronaldo? And the thing with Aubameyang is he's a lot of things, but what he's not is a type of false nine. He's not a player who drops deep and links up and creates. He's a player who runs off the shoulder of the defender, and he's a, he, and he's a player that's extremely good in the box. Um, and that's just not what we needed at the time. I, I don't think it necessarily would have melded with us that well. Um, and I don't know if we could have anticipated Cristiano Ronaldo leaving like he did, especially because it was due to a lot of personal issues and because he'd, he'd been clear about wanting to stay with Real Madrid for a long time at, at the point where we could have bought up Omiyong. So I think it was justified not getting him. I, I don't know if it was justified not pursuing someone like Harry Kane or a more complete forward, but I think not getting a Bomiang was justified. And obviously, after Ronaldo left, he wasn't an option because he'd only spent like what half a season at Arsenal. So as to as to Hamas, um, the, the interesting thing about Hamas is, is in my opinion, he was not a necessary signing when we got him. He was not a necessary player when we sold him. But now in this present moment, we could use him a lot. Um, but I don't know exactly how we could have dealt with this better, at least from Zidane's perspective. I think there were situations where maybe he could have played Hamas here and there ahead of Lucas Vasquez, but it probably wouldn't have been enough to keep him happy. I think the real issue is the fact that we let him go for like free for two years and then for a really cheap sum at the end. And that, to me, is, is what doesn't sit well with me. And then finally to Hazard, um, to try to finish this off quickly... Um, Hazard's interesting, right? Like I wrote an article about why I don't think I didn't think Real Madrid should sign him. I've taken a lot of shit for that, <laughs> quite obviously, because Hazard has had a really good scoring start to the season, seven goals and eight appearances. But here's the thing. One, I do not think Hazard does that anywhere else except for a coach like Sarri, where he's done amazing things with players like Lorenzo Insigne and Dries Mertens and turn them into these high-volume, high-quality shot producers. Hazard has stated himself over and over again, like he stated that he wants to come to Real Madrid, that he's not a goal scorer, he doesn't like scoring goals, and that it's just not in his nature. So someone like Sarri, who, who has proven track record of doing that and playing with arguably the best offensive system in the world, is, pr- for me, the best place for Hazard to turn that around. And then if you look at his underlying numbers so far... Um, He's doubling his XG at the moment. So he has seven goals. His expected goals is 3.79. And if you look at his expected goal per 90, it's 0.59. And if you take penalties out of the equation, which you have to do if he was coming to Real Madrid because Sergio Ramos takes them, his expected goal per 90 without penalties is 0.35. That's not exactly spectacular. And I don't know in if in Real Madrid's context, he would have solved any necessarily solved the scoring problems that we have. But it would be impossible and it would be stupid to deny that Hazard would definitely have improved us because he's one of the best players in the world. I just don't know if in the long term it would have made that much sense and that if you can take his conditions at Chelsea and apply it to the conditions at Real Madrid. But I guess time will tell. Yeah, but in um, in your article, um, you never said that he wouldn't improve us. Um, in fact, I think you said he mm-hmm. would. But I think the question was more... At what cost does he marginally improve us? And the answer to that was over two hundred million. Um, and if you're buying, if you if you're going to be virtually the most expensive player of all time or close to it, and you're not really replacing 
the need, which is replacing Ronaldo's goals. There is complete logic into what you said, even in hindsight. Um, and especially if that that number normalizes with him um, over the course of the season with his scoring. So I don't, I don't, I think you're you're still even you're still correct with that assessment. It's not that he doesn't improve us. I think he does, and obviously helps us if he's here. I think it's at the price that you're looking to get him. Um, it's just way above market value. Uh, Obama Yang, obviously the timing, like you said, was probably not there. Uh, although you could argue and that Real Madrid really could have used him as a backup last season, just like they could have used holding on to Mariano. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it was never a bad thing because if you had that kind of player in La Liga, he would have helped for sure. Um, with James, it's kind of in the Hazard mold, um, but in in a in a bit of a different position, I guess almost he operates in a, in a different role. But to me, he helps because he's one of the best pl- decision makers in the final third in the world. And um, and it's so weird how just when you every time you think that the door might be closed there, he still he still seems like he has his heart here. I don't know. Um, then reports coming out that he doesn't get along with Kovac and um, Bayern is Bayern is also imploding. Um, if it makes money, he says feel any better. Bayern are, are imploding as well. So maybe that door is not closed. Although um, I don't know if it's feasible that he comes anytime before next summer if he does. So so. so- I just want to quickly, so I agree with everything you said. I just want to quickly speak to Hamas a little more because I need to clarify my position between Hamas and Hazard, right? Because if if you just hear what I said, there's 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 possibly like an inconsistency in my argument, right? Like don't need Hazard because he's a playmaker, doesn't score that much, but want Hamas even though he's a playmaker. And I mean, he scores 15 and 20 goals, but it's not prolific. So I was having an interesting discussion with a couple of people the last couple of days about maybe the cross Casemiro midfield being an issue with the fact that they do not create goals, right? They're brilliant at controlling the game, but the onus is completely on the forwards to create, to instigate attacking combinations and to find the back of the net. But if you look at a bunch of other teams, like Guardiola and even Sarri, they're playing with, with number 10s and number 8 positions, right? Like with, with Manchester City, you have David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva at times. And then with Mauricio Sarri, you had Marek Hamsik. So I think James, especially in a Lopetegui system, which is about defending collectively, which is about counterpressing, I think James could provide us something interesting in a number 8 position that would then give us a goal scoring threat and a greater creative threat there while still while not replacing anyone in the front line so that would just enhance our ability but that that is something i have to think more about it's an interesting thought for everyone listening to to think about how how that might work but that is definitely i think a point that has some validity um do you have anything to plug before we wrap it up I'll, I'll plug something on the behalf of both of us, but do you have anything specifically for, for yourself? No, what I was going to plug is what you're going to talk about. Okay, so oh, Marvin and I are very excited to announce that we are launching our YouTube channel over the international break. Um, we've been kind of wanting to do this for a while, but nothing ever really concrete. Om does his tactical videos, um, and I just like to discuss football, and, and I guess as much as I possibly can, and... I've always wanted to get into videos and stuff. We had this issue where um, we can't really use footage 
as much as we'd want to because La Liga and UEFA have all these copyright claims. So we are very excited to have bring a cartoonist on board. So we are doing weekly Real Madrid videos. It could be anything about tactics to historical um, historical anecdotes um, or just going back to certain things that are still relevant for Real Madrid um, and, and kind of just having fun with it. It's going to be different every week. Our first video will come up during the international break at some point and we are going to basically go with the direction of uh, this cartoon-like uh, visual with narration and just going to be a lot of fun. So look out for that. We'll post it on Managing Madrid as well. Um, and once we have the YouTube channel set up, we'll uh, let you know so you can subscribe to it. Oh, Marvin, thank you for joining me, my friend, and Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.